I am, I've got a lot of stuff for us this morning, a lot of notes, a lot of writing. Uh, thanks for your prayer, Carl. I really hope, um, I really pray you can receive what I want to say. I really want to communicate something to us this morning. Um, but it's quite weighty and it can be quite technical and it's quite theological and it's a formulation of thoughts in my mind over many years now and I feel like it's really time in my life to take ground and say this is what I believe, this is what I see in the gospel. And um, thanks for those who gave me great feedback a couple of weeks ago and I preached. I had some really cool feedback from people saying, wow, I'd really been feeling that but I'd never seen someone say it up front from the church, you know. So um, I got a great message from a friend in America who listened to it and it really resounded with her and it's always encouraging that uh, what you're saying is actually bearing some fruits in the people who are listening. So um, yeah, it's going to be quite a lot of stuff. Um, take what you can. I, I, really, I really pray as I speak that God will just drop some things in your heart and you'll be like, wow, I really see that now in the gospel. So, yeah, may your hearts be open, um, even if it twists your mind a bit. Um, so I started off uh, speaking um, last week on the nature of God, and um, we looked at a couple of things, and this is just going to be a continuation of that topic, and specifically looking today at why did Jesus die, and um, as I say that to you, you might have a whole bunch of things that jump up in your head immediately. Why did Jesus die? And I want those things to come up because I want to see if what I'm going to say matches with them or it's actually different. And um, if it is different, hopefully God can anoint it and bring revelation into, into, into actually the truth of his gospel. So um, I want to do a 10. We've got half an hour. Help me, Jesus. Okay. I'm going to recap what I said last time, just so we can be on the same page, and then I'm going to go into this morning. Um, so, I started off last week, um, I mean, last week, first time I spoke, just discussing the love of God, and um, I just want to, I'm going to be reading quite a bit of notes, because I want to make sure I get it right. We said, God is love, infinite love, plus nothing, every attribute is a facet of his one nature, his essence, which is love. We often hear, God is love, but he is also this. God is love, but he is also that. And we build in a false dichotomy of the love of God. We put two contrasting things and we throw in a but. God is love, but. But I want to just clarify again what I said. God is love, period. Never but. God is holy love. He is righteous love. He is just love. He is, he is even angry love, but he is always love. Never love but. So be very careful when you, you hear preached a false religious dichotomy built in, which will take two components of God and contrast them and actually confuse and say, well, which, which side is it of the nature of God? And we can actually get a schizophrenic God in our minds. But I really labored quite last time to build into us our thinking that the essence of God is love and its other characteristics flow out of that essence. So we don't need to be nervous when we hear there's a holy, just, wrathful God. But what about the loving God that I heard about? Are they contrasting against each other? But what I really want us to see in everything he's done, 
and his very nature, they all flow out of his one essence. Um, so we had a, a, a great quote that I just want to repeat. George MacDonald, a Scottish preacher in the 69, who said, God will do nothing as judge that he would not do as a father. That just helps us to see clearly. God will do nothing as a judge that he would not do as a father. So he never loses the essence of his fatherhood, of his loving nature over mankind. That's his essence. Everything else flows out of there. We also discussed that uh, Jesus is the icon of God. So we, we, we looked at, if you click on the bottom of your laptop, your little icon, and it pops up. So it's a small little thing, but it opens up a fuller picture of what the icon was. Jesus is the icon of the Father. So as we click on him, it brings into full view the revelation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus, as Bill Johnson says, is our perfect theology. We can look at him and every action he did and everything he, every, every part of who he was gives us an idea of who the Father is. So we, we, we get a classic dichotomy would be um, God is so holy that he cannot be with sinners. He's so holy he cannot look at sinners. Right? We've often heard that. But yet Jesus was with sinners. So we've got a dichotomy brought in that the Father can't be with the sinners, but Jesus can be. So we've got a confusion there. So we need to look at Jesus and say, no, hang on, what did Jesus do? He was with sinners the whole time. He wasn't too holy and removed. He was fully with humankind. He was fully with sinners. So we see Jesus fully reveals the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right, we also discussed um, forgiveness. And um, we looked at the nature of forgiveness. And I was just thinking in this week, a nice way of understanding forgiveness is that it's for given it's given before it's forgiven so we we discussed um, is the cross where god does something so that he can forgive us or is the cross where he reveals that he actually has already forgiven us and he displays it on the cross so we we looked at a, a, a story if um if your little child has stolen some money out of your purse and comes to you and wants to make the confession of stolen money. And as your heart as a parent, when do you forgive the child? When they make the confession? Oh, and no, I forgive you, you've confessed. Or is your heart's love always forgiven the child? When the child comes and forgives, you're happy they've come and... Sorry, when the child comes and confesses, you're happy they've made their confession because that confession frees them. So confession is crucial, but it's not where the forgiveness happens. Okay, the forgiveness is always there. All right. The the Scripture says, um, uh, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So grace isn't what God does in response to sin. Grace has always abounded. So when sin happened, grace abounds even more. It's not like grace is God's reaction to sin. Grace has always existed. When sin happens, grace just jumps on top of it and eats it up. Because grace has always abounded. So it's the same as forgiveness. It's always abounded. And man wants, God wants man to come and make their confession so that they can participate in God's forgiveness. So we looked at that part of God's nature. Um, how am I doing for time? I had something I might want to add in here. I'm on the clock. Six minutes in. Okay, I'm going to last that bit. It was good, though, but I'm not going to say it. Okay, so 
We looked, we looked, um, we looked, um, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And we had, we had realized, what I had realized in my own life, that I had had this gospel. God was outside Christ, punishing him, reconciling himself back to the world, not counting men's sins against them, if they would believe. So say that again. God was outside Christ, punishing him, being reconciled back to the world, not counting men's sins against them, if they would believe. But we see in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ. And there's such a good quote, I saw just doing some notes here. The Holy Spirit was not at the cross with a box of tissues. The Holy Spirit was in Christ with the Father reconciling us to himself. We've had confusion that God was outside of Christ, punishing him, attaining the capital that would allow God to forgive mankind. And we've created a, a split in the Trinity. Where's the Holy Spirit in that case? Is he, was he with the Father or was he with Jesus? Or was he standing in between them going, okay, with his box of tissues? No, 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 no. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Brian Zond, really guy I'm enjoying reading at the moment, says the, following, says the following, any theology that posits Jesus as an agent of change acting, acting, acting upon the Father is deeply flawed. It is a theology that is strayed from the classical understanding of the immutability of God and the unity of the Trinity. Jesus does not change the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. This is so important when we look at the cross. Jesus was not changing the Father. He was with Christ, reconciling the world. Baxter Kruger says the following, The gospel is not the news that in dying, Jesus dealt with the dark side of God for us. It was our disease, not the Father. It was our dark side, not the Father's. It was our alienation, brokenness, corruption, and the whole web of our guilt and wrongness that necessitated the cross. Alright, so we see, uh, often we've heard the gospel that's saying God was against humanity. We, we hear that famous preach by Jonathan Edwards, God, sin is in the hands of an angry God. That the biggest problem mankind has is the anger and wrath of God against mankind. God is our problem. Jesus saves us from God. But we've split the Trinity. We've got to be very careful of that. Um, so Jesus is not reconciling God back to us. He's reconciling us back to God. Okay. We worked hard at trying to get that point across. Um, but Gaz, God is love, but he is also just. But Gaz, God is love, but he is also wrathful. Okay, we've got that dichotomy. So we looked at, I'm still my recap. We looked at um, the justice of God is not penal or vindictive. It is restorative. The gospel, the, 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 the justice that sits in God's heart is restorative. It's not a, a, a quid vo pro where it's an eye for an eye. That's not the justice sitting in God's heart. Okay. So, but Gaz, God must punish sin. No, no, no. The justice of God is that God must destroy sin. That's what sits in the heart of God. Not that he must punish it, but it's me destroy it. Because what's true justice is when he makes everything right. And what does a penal, a, a penal justice actually do? It just punishes. It does not set anything right. Right. 
It just gets it off God's mind. Oh, they punished that. It's, it's justice has been done. But there's nothing restorative in it. Okay. The justice of God is not retributive justice. In the end, retributive justice changes nothing. The justice of God is highly and entirely restorative. The only thing God will call justice is setting the world right, not punishing the innocent. It is therefore quite correct to say that the necessity of the atonement, what Jesus did, arises from the justice of God. But we're not talking human penal justice. We're talking divine revelatory justice. Okay. But what about God's wrath? I'm just, gonna, I'm just really want to labor on this because it's about to come into why did Jesus die. The accurate understanding of God's wrath is that it's against sinfulness and not sinners. It is more like a doctor fighting a patient's disease or a freedom fighter liberating slaves from bondage. God's wrath is redemptively aimed against the sinfulness it finds, and this finds itself in solid biblical support. Romans 1.18 The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. God's wrath is against unrighteousness and ungodliness. But it's because of what it's doing to mankind. The wrath of God is merely an extension of His love. No dichotomy. It is a big fat no to sinfulness because of how it destroys and molests His children. God's wrath has nothing to do with Him hating or being ill-tempered. It has to do with hating the sinfulness that is eating mankind like a disease. Religion would build a false dichotomy between love and wrath, between justice and grace, but there is no separation. Right, so this could be rattling a couple of cages that maybe you thought and was in your, in your gospel understanding. Um, but um, I really feel that as we, we start to come into an understanding of these things, it sets our hearts and minds free to know the true God. The prophet's, the prophet's role is to free the people for God and to free God for the people. I really this morning want to free God for the people. I want to free the understanding of God for the people. Do you understand what I'm saying there? As we free our thinking of God, the people become free because they have a deeper revelation of who the Father is. Ten minutes. Go, guys. Recap. Okay. So, if Jesus' death was not to satisfy the wrath of an angry God, what was the point of the cross? Why did Jesus die? Alright, this is, this is really what I want to hit on this morning. Why did Jesus die? If we, if we had an understanding that um, God was angry, God was just, God was holy, He had to punish sin, but He's also loving, and He didn't want to punish us, so He took it out on Jesus. So the bullet was coming, Jesus jumped in the way and took it, and we go free. That's kind of the gospel we've had. But I really want to show us this morning that we're missing so much when that's the gospel. Um, if Jesus' death was not to satisfy the wrath of the anger of God, what was the point of the cross? Okay, I've got three things this morning. The point of the cross. It was to reveal our wrath and mankind's sin. We killed God. Alright, if you think the Father killed Jesus, or the Father punished Jesus, you're missing the revelation that it was actually our wrath and mankind who killed God. It's the great exposure. Sometimes things need to manifest and be revealed before they can be healed. 
It's like a child having a tantrum. You let the child manifest so that it can be so that it can see that the problem is them and not the parents. Imagine a little child having a full-on temper, ten, temper tantrum. Sometimes a parent just stands there and allows the child to have that tantrum because the child needs to have that tantrum because what's actually in the child's heart needs to be revealed. If you stop the child from actually having that or going through that, they can't actually see that they were the problem and not the parent. <laughs> so at the cross, Jesus is actually saying to humanity, fine, I'm going to let you do the worst you can do to me. I'm going to let your hearts be exposed so that I can show you something about yourself in this moment. So who killed Jesus? What was the cross about? Peter and Acts, got a whole bunch of scriptures here. Peter and Acts 3.15. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Luke 4.28. In Nazareth, people wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff. Matthew 12. Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath and people wanted to kill him. John 5, Jesus healed a lame man and they wanted to kill him. John 7, the people wanted to kill him because he claimed to be the Christ. John 8, he claimed equality with God so they wanted to kill him. John 10, he was making himself to be God so they wanted to kill him. John 11, many were believing in him so people wanted to kill him. Matthew 26, behold the hours at hand when the Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Alright. Humanity killed Jesus. It was our depravedness. Can you, can you actually fathom it? God, the Creator, the lover of men's souls, arrive on the scene to introduce Himself, and we kill Him. It's quite a thought. What had happened to man's heart for that to happen? And we need to understand that in our sinful state, we would have done the same thing. Okay. It's, it's only when you believe and receive the revelation of the Father that you don't want to do that. But we were all like that scoffers wanting to kill God. Because actually he was exposing us. Before the cross is anything else, it is a catastrophe. It is the unjust and violent lynching of an innocent man. It is the murder of God. Jesus is sacrificed by the Father only in this sense. The Father sent His Son into our system of violent power, which was civilization, to reveal how utterly sinful it is. So sinful that it would murder the innocent one. God did not will the murder of His own Son. He simply knew it would occur. But even Plato knew this. In imagining what would happen to a perfectly just man in our unjust world, Plato said the following. This is 300 years before Christ. Plato said this. Our just man will be scourged, racked, fettered, and at last, after all manner of things, will be crucified. Plato wrote that three centuries before Christ. God knew what Plato knew. For Jesus to proclaim and inaugurate the kingdom of God in the midst of our just and unviolent world would require a supreme sacrifice. Golgotha, where Jesus died on the hill, is where the greatest crimes of humanity, pride, rivalry, blame, violence, dominion, war, and empire, are dragged into the searing light of divine judgment. At Golgotha, we see the systems of human organizations that we call civilization for what it is. An axis of power enforced by violence so corrupt that it is capable of murdering God in the name of what we call truth, justice, and liberty. 
Civilization said by killing Christ we are honoring truth, justice, and liberty, yet they killed God. Everything humankind valued and had built a civilization ended up in that we kill God. So it's it's quite shocking actually the state of what humanity was. So we we see Jesus allowing, amazing, allowing this to happen to him so that mankind's heart might be fully exposed to what it is. Right, first point. So this is where quite a big jump in my thinking happened. And um, it might take some time in your own thinking, but um, this is really a flip around in our thinking. We've always thought that um, Jesus was God's sacrifice that would appease the Father. So we think about how we do sacrifice. I sacrifice something and it appeases the gods. When I went to Bali and you walk around there, there's little sacrifices and offerings on the ground everywhere. Little things burning up. Um, People are giving things to the gods to appease the gods. And we've always thought that Jesus was the sacrifice to appease the Father. Right. So it, it followed on from many of the traditions the Israelites were, were living on, child sacrifice, that something would be sacrificed to appease the gods. Right. So I'm going to flip this around, and it's going to be a bit of a head, head spin, but I want to really want us to see something here. We've always thought that Jesus was the sacrifice to appease God. He took God's wrath and anger so that we can be with Him. Jesus took care of the dark side of God. In the, in the earliest history of Israel, the law of Moses required blood sacrifices for the remission of sins. But this, this idea was later challenged by the prophets. 600 years after Moses gave the law regarding ritual sacrifice, David said this, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Psalms 40. Hosea said that God desires steadfast love and not sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews said the following. Indeed, under the law, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Can you see that in Hebrews 9.22? But then Jesus goes on to say, Sorry, then the writer goes on to say, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. See God, I have come to do your will, O God. So Jesus is abolishing the first revelation of sacrifice, that it appeases God. And he's establishing the second by saying, But a body you have prepared for me. Okay. Are we with me? Not too technical. All right. In other words, the psalmists, the prophets, and the writers of Hebrews came to understand that God abolishes primitive ritual sacrifice in order to establish actually doing God's will as justice. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus was faithful to embody God's will, even to the point of shedding blood as he forgives sinners. Jesus did not shed his blood to pay off God in the form of a ritual sacrifice. That's not what God wanted. Jesus shed his blood in faithful obedience to the Father's will, demonstrating divine forgiveness, even as he was crucified. And then Jesus told the sacrifice-obsessed Pharisees, Go and learn this, what I mean. I desire mercy, 
not sacrifice. God desires our lives to be marked by mercy, not the sacrifice of victims. Jesus' death was not a ritual sacrifice of appeasement, but the supreme demonstration of God's mercy. Jesus did not shed his blood to buy God's forgiveness. Jesus shed his blood to embody God's forgiveness. Right. So, um, look at this as flipped around. Um, we've always thought Jesus, is, Jesus came as God giving a sacrifice so that it would change the Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? The sacrifice was given so that it would take the, the wrath, the anger of God. God would be satisfied with the, the sacrifice and be appeased. So the sacrifice appeased the Father, changed the Father. But he's actually flipping it around completely. Um, it was always us giving the sacrifice to change God. But he gives the sacrifice to change us. Okay, so it's flipped around completely. The, sa the sacrifice isn't for God, it's for us. So by him giving it, he subverts and flips that whole notion that we need to do something to change God. He says, no, 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 that's not what I want at all. I'm going to give something for you to change you. He's the sacrifice that ends all sacrificing. He invalidates the whole model. And think, and think how amazing this is what Jesus said. We always thought that we need to offer things to appease God. So we offered food, we offered wine to appease Him. But now Jesus comes and says this, You need to eat and drink of me. We thought we could offer food and wine to appease Him. But He says, Come and eat and drink of me. Without eating and drinking of me, you can have no part of me. Isn't that amazing? He's flipping it around completely. He says, Don't offer things to me. You need to eat and drink of me. So he's, he's, he's flipped the whole thing around completely by offering himself and saying, you need to partake in this way. Is that making sense? Okay. It's, 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 quite, it's quite technical, but it's, it's really a beautiful way of now seeing who Jesus is. Um, I've just written a lot of stuff. I'm just going to keep going for it here. If the cross is the event that God required to satisfy his need for retribution, it has no revelatory power. This is the story that mythology has always been telling throughout time. The same story, the gods needing to require a sacrifice to be appeased. However, if the violence of the cross is not what God required, but what is endured because we required it, it reveals something totally new to mankind. Something hidden in the nature of God from the foundation of the world. Jesus, identified by John as the Lamb of the God, reveals that it is not our sacrifice that changes the mind of God about us, but it is God's Lamb that changes the mind of mankind. God is not the one who needed to be converted. In the event of the cross, where God allows us to sink to our deepest alienation from Him, at the point where we are our worst, He forgives. It is in this moment that we are confronted with the reality that God is not our problem and never has been and never will be. If when we are at our worst He remains forgiving, it means that we need to seek a different party to blame for our suffering. God has never been and will never be our problem. He is our salvation. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Alright. 
Thank you, Lord. That's so freeing and so beautiful. All right, so two things I'm trying to communicate to us about why did Jesus die. It reveals our wrath. It revealed mankind and what civilization had built is what they thought the truth was. Mankind kills God. Jesus, God provides a sacrifice to end all sacrificing. The notion that he needs to be appeased. He ends it by giving the one sacrifice that would forever invalidate the notion of sacrificing to appease him. And he says, now you partake in my sacrifice I give. I don't need you to offer me things. Alright. Third point. Um, Jesus in his body destroys sin. This is really for me the crucial and crux of the atonement. Jesus destroying sin. N.T. Wright, the famous Anglican theologian, says the following. I think it is as clear as it gets in Paul in Romans 8.3, where Paul says explicitly that God condemns sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Paul does not say that God condemned Jesus. Rather that he condemned sin. But the place where sin was condemned was precisely in the flesh of Jesus. And of Jesus precisely as the Son sent from the Father. So we've often said, even Claire said it last week, I was thinking as she said it, Jesus died for our sins. What does that mean to us when we say, Jesus died for our sins? We've often thought he died for our sins in the sense that instead of us being punished, God punished us. But I really want to to say to us, we have a, a clearer thought now on why Jesus died for our sins. He didn't, he didn't die for God. He died for you. You see, because in his human body, the scripture says he became sin. All right. He actually took sin and took it down into his death and destroyed it and then rose up in new life. Jesus on the cross became the curse. He actually took the noun of sin. Sin was a noun. It was a governing entity over mankind and he became sin so that he the scripture says um, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God Jesus actually became the noun of sin isn't that amazing in a servant body he took humanity's sin and in a weird way on the cross if you can see him humanity is sowing their sins into Jesus on the cross can you see everyone spitting at him hating at him the, the, the angry hearts killing God we are sowing our sin into him and he gathers all of it and he takes it down into the grave isn't what he's doing is amazing it's so amazing what he's doing at, at our worst moment he's doing something for us he's gathering up our sin and he's destroying it the need of sinners can be said not to be the transformation of God's attitude towards them but the transformation of their sinful existence before God. So what God is doing is he's transforming mankind's sinful existence before him. Colossians 1.21 But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Beautiful what he did. Alright. His wrath, once again we look at that, his wrath violently destroyed sinfulness as he consumed it in his own servant body. Sin is a noun. It was the governing entity that owned and diseased us. Jesus attacked sin in his own servant body, absorbing it, violently cleansing the temple of it in his own flesh. 
really profound when we look at the cross and we understand what he's doing. How am I doing, man? I'm time. How's my time? Time up. <laughs> Good. All right. Okay, I want us. I want us to do an exercise. I wrote this last night. Um, really, what I want to communicate in, in in teaching these things is a transformation in the nature of God, our understanding of of Him, and as we see things more clearly, as God becomes more free in what He's in what He's done and who He is, we fall deeper in love for His nature. So, okay, close your eyes. All right. I want us to be um, Golgotha Hill. The three, cr- the three crosses are on the hill. We see Jesus in the middle. And um, I want us to just imagine you there. And um, I, wanna, I wanted to share these words with you. Pre- precious, precious Jesus. Just imagine precious Jesus, so precious. Stands vulnerable before the world. Arms wide open, naked on a cross. Completely vulnerable with his arms wide open. Jesus, the creator of the universe. In him all things hold together. Every human ever made standing before him, he knew before he formed them. He knows every single person there scoffing at him, wanting to kill him. He says to his beloved humanity, Do your worst and I will show you my best. In your worst moments of sin, I will reveal my forgiveness and my love. I need you right now to see the ultimate climax of your sinfulness, epitomized in you crucifying and killing me, in your rejection of me. I want you to know this. The Father and me are together on this. We love you and want to save you from yourself. You are sick. The Father has never been against you. He is not angry. I want you to know he is not mad with you. He is, a, he is mad about you. In your worst moment of sin, I'm going to do the greatest thing ever. I'm going to die your death and destroy sin which is plaguing you in my body. I will do all of this while you are completely against me and do not know me. But I know you and I love you. My resurrection will be the proof of my victory over every bit of sin that has plagued you. And my, my resurrection will be the declaration of your innocence. I am now the faith of God for all mankind to lay a hold of. My resurrection declares mankind's innocence and acquittal of their sin for all to lay a hold of and believe. As you receive this truth about me, as you've seen what I've done for you, will you be an ambassador to the world to share the good news? For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has given us this message of reconciliation. Be reconciled. Not to become reconciled with me, but to be the very reconciliation that I now see that I've won in my son. Will you take this message to the world? Right, let's just finish off with some prayer. Yeah, Father, we, we thank you for um, a clear understanding of who you are, Jesus. And we, um, we won over by your love for us. 
And we pray, Lord, that um, where we've maybe be confused about your nature, there will be clear revelation about what you've done for us on the cross. And I pray this would sweep over us, Lord, and, 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 and give us a, a zeal, Lord, to spread the message of your goodness. Cool, that's it, guys. I was just preaching hard this morning. Hope you enjoyed it.